Well, good morning. I hope you're all doing well this morning. It's good to see you as we've gathered to worship. I want to invite you uh, to turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're going to begin reading in verse 22. When you have that, I invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence to God's Word. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 22, the Bible says, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. You may be seated. We have this morning an account. Mark chapter 8, that's very similar to a number of them that we have had before. Uh, An instance where someone is brought to Jesus and he is suffering from uh, a sickness or an illness. And in this case, he is suffering from a lack of sight. And he is brought to Jesus by uh, people. We don't know, again, their relationship, but we could assume very easily that these were his friends and they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus performs a miracle that we have become uh, comfortable with, I guess, as we have been reading through uh, Mark's gospel, but one that we should understand every time it happened in the midst of people, it was something that was amazing, it was something that would have struck them uh, very deeply because it was something they had not seen before. If you'll remember back a a number of verses ago, we saw that Jesus was on his way to Bethsaida and then he was delayed. He was taken off course, if you will, by other events that happened. We know that this is something that he had planned and yet it had happened nonetheless. And now we come here and Jesus finally arrives in this village. And upon his arrival, he is... No doubt, as he often is, met with people who who need something, people who are hurting, people who are suffering from various illnesses, people who just want to come into close proximity with this man who is able to do uh, so much. This man who is able to speak or to touch someone and for them to be healed, this man who they have heard is able to calm the waters, this man who is able to feed large numbers of people with a small amount of food. And so they come to Jesus with this man, and he's healed. This morning, I want us to consider what it means to follow the leadership of Jesus. 
Christ calls us, when we are his followers, he calls us to follow his leadership. He calls upon us to direct or to allow him to direct our lives. He calls upon us to follow after wherever he leads and in whatever manner he leads us. This man here who we don't have his name and we don't have uh, very much information about him at all. We simply have these five verses where he is introduced to us and then almost as quickly he vanishes from the scene of the Bible. And yet we have in these five verses a man who follows after the leadership of Christ. I think in the time in which we live with all the voices that are pulling us in various directions, we should have a heart and a desire to follow after the leadership of Christ. We will follow someone, that is our nature. We follow the lead of others. But I promise you that if this man had done anything other than following after the leadership of Christ, he would not have been able to witness this great miracle that is performed by Christ. And so let's look as we begin in verse 22 at at what it means to follow the leadership of Jesus. First, we need to understand in this initial verse that people follow Jesus when they are led to Jesus. People follow Jesus when they are led to Jesus. Now, this should not be terribly shocking. How are you going to follow someone who you've never met? How are you going to follow someone who you've never encountered? It's not possible, is it? It's not possible to you've never heard of. It's not possible to follow someone whose teachings you've never encountered, whose leadership you've never been witness to. That's the case with this man. He would have had no opportunity to follow Jesus if no one had brought him to Jesus. If people had just left him wherever he was, doing whatever it is that he was doing... If they had left him blind, and most likely in his culture, out begging somewhere by the highway, then he would have never encountered Christ. He would never have been able to be a part of this miracle that Jesus performs. It's amazing to me the number of Christians that wish our world was different that wish more people followed Jesus, that wish more people went to church. And yet they never lead anyone to encounter Christ. They never lead anyone to meet the Savior. Friends, when you turn on the television and you look at the chaos in our world, when you look at how terrible it is for people in our world, when you look at how awful people have it, when you look at how sinful people are, you need to realize that they are never going to change, they are never going to be different, they are never going to do better unless they encounter Christ. 
We can try to have all of the programs in our world and our, our governments can try to put on all of the programs and try to have all of the policies, but these things will never make a difference until people have encountered Christ, until people are following after the leadership of the Savior. Well, trust me when I say follow the leadership of someone they have not met. And they will not meet Jesus until we lead them to him. Until we take it upon ourselves the responsibility that we have been given in the great commission of Christ to lead other people to Jesus, until we take that seriously, we will never see people following after his leadership. This morning, if you are in your life following after his leadership, you can carefully trace that back to a time when someone led you to him. Maybe it was your parents who as a child drugged you to church even though you didn't want to go. Maybe it was a friend or a co-worker who at some point pointed you toward the love of Christ. Friends, people follow Jesus when they are led to Jesus. So if we're not going to do that, then we have no reason to sit back and look at the things going on in our world and complain about them. You have no basis on which to do that. You have no foundation to stand in your complaint about the world if you do not lead other people to Christ. You may think you can go to the ballot box in November and fix that. You're wrong. You may think if we only pass this or we only stop this from happening, that that would somehow fix the problem. That is not the case. Too many Christians rely on five votes from the Supreme Court and think that's going to solve the woes of our nation and nothing could be further from the truth. Friends, this man is able to follow the leadership of Jesus because someone comes to where he is in his blindness and they take him by the hand and they lead him to where Jesus is. Now, if you notice, the friends don't have anything to do after that. There's nothing they can do to make this man follow Jesus. There's nothing to do to make Jesus love this man anymore or save this man, but they take the step in leading him to Christ. It's our calling. If we are going to say in our life that we are following after the leadership of the Savior, then we must start by leading other people to follow that same leadership. We must start by telling our children they need to follow the leadership of Christ. We must tell our co-workers and the other students in our schools and the other people that we work with and our friends and our family, we must tell them about their need for Christ. Friends, you want to see something happen in our community, in our nation? Don't worry so much about what goes on in Washington or Raleigh. Worry about what goes on here in our church when we are committed to leading other people to Jesus. Watch how it will change our community 
and our state and our country. People follow Jesus when led to Jesus. Look at the next verse. Once you've come to Christ, following Jesus will lead you away from where you begin. First part of verse 23, following Jesus will lead you away from where you begin. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. I don't know why Jesus does this. There's some aspect, as we've been going through Mark, of of something in Mark known as the Messianic secret. It's this idea that as as Jesus has come on the scene and he has begun to preach and begin to heal, there's still a certain amount of secrecy that goes along with his ministry. If you notice, there's multiple times, there's been multiple times where he's, he's told people that he has healed or people that he has worked with, don't tell anyone what I've done. Don't tell anyone what I've said. There's this air of secrecy because Jesus wants everything done in his timing. He is revealing himself to people, he's revealing identity to people, and he does so in the manner in which he has chosen to do. And so there's some sense in which we may be seeing a little bit of that here as they're going out of the crowd and they're going out into the village, or out from the village, out away from everyone, or out away from all the excitement and all the things that went along when Jesus arrived in an area. And so he, Jesus takes the man, he, he takes him from his friends, he's coming with his friends, he's coming with the people that have brought him to Jesus, and Jesus takes this man's hand and he walks with him away from where they are, and they go outside the village. This man had come to the village. We find out at the end of this passage, he didn't even live in the village. We don't know where he lived, but he lived somewhere outside of the village. And he had come all the way to the village. He had had to walk there from someone's guidance, and he had arrived there, and he expected maybe that something would happen there. But instead, Jesus takes him by the hand and begins to lead him away from the very place where all of this had started, this place where he first encountered Jesus. Friends, when we follow after Jesus, we will not end up where we started at. He will lead us away from where we begin. Isn't it amazing? The number of people who go to church, they're faithful in their attendance, but when you talk to them, their lives are just, it's a mess. They're, they're depressed, they're down about everything that's happening, they're, they, they have no joy, they, they struggle to get by, they, they have very little peace about the things going on in their life. And what you begin to discover is they, at some point, encountered Jesus, like this man did in the middle of the village. But when Jesus grabbed their hand to lead them away from where they started at, the place where they were caught in their sin, the place where they were mired in their heartache and despair. They're, they're stuck there. They're, they're, they're at the bottom. They're at the end of their rope. And Jesus encounters them, and he takes their hand to lead them away from that place to the place that he wants them to be, and they don't want to move. They, they pull against Jesus as he pulls 
on them. They, they pull against his leadership. They pull against his direction. They don't want to follow after him. They don't want to go wherever he leads them to go. They want to stay. They want to stay where they're at. It's amazing because when we see people in the Bible, so many of them encounter Jesus. They want to get away from where they are as quickly as possible. They are stuck in their sin. They're stuck in their despair. And they want to follow Jesus and get away from that and get to wherever it is that Jesus is leading. But so many people in our culture, they want to have a relationship with Jesus. They want to have an encounter with Jesus, but they want to stay where they're at. Because, see, our human nature loves our sinful condition. Our human nature loves to be mired in despair. Satan pulls against us constantly, trying to keep us where we are. But see, following the leadership of Jesus means we're going to go away from where we begin. Someone who encounters Jesus is different the next day, six months down the road, a year, five years, ten years, at the end of their life. They're different from where they began that encounter with Jesus. We are growing in our knowledge of our faith. We're growing in our sanctification with Him. We're growing in our worship of Him. We are growing and growing and growing because He is pulling us and leading us and pushing us. And I wonder why we fight it. Can you think of the absurdity it would have been if when we had come to the first part of verse 23 and Jesus had taken this man's hand to lead him out of the village, the man had pulled his hand back? He said, no, do it here. Fix me here. Fix me where I'm at or don't fix me at all. You say, well, the man was blind. He he obviously wanted to be changed. Friends, our spiritual condition when we encounter Jesus is so much worse than physical blindness. It's so much worse than anything this man had encountered in his physical disability. We We should be so excited that Christ would be willing to take our hand and lead us anywhere out of our sin. But friends, too many times people want to have this encounter with Jesus but remain exactly where they're at. And it does not work that way. It does not work that way because of what he says at the end of verse 23. If following Jesus will take us away from where we begin, following Jesus also requires our response. Following Jesus also requires our response. Look at what this happens. Verse 23. End of verse 23. When he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked, Do you see anything? This man's got to give an answer. Did Jesus need an answer? No. Did Jesus know the exact specifications of this man's vision? Yes. Whatever the... It obviously isn't 2020, is it 2030, is it 2080? I don't, I don't have any idea Jesus knew. He knew exactly what this man is seeing. He knew with the exact clarity with which this man is seeing. But he asked him for a response. He says, do you see anything? And this man says, 
And he looked up, this is the man, and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Now, what is the great significance of this? I don't have any idea. It's just not terribly important. Why does he look like trees? We get the sense from this that this man probably at some point in his life has seen before. He hasn't been born blind. We're not told here that he was born blind, and this gives us some indication that maybe he wasn't born blind, that at some point he could see, and now why does he say they look like trees? I don't know. It's just not really that important. He could have said they look like bears. He could have said that they look like tigers. He could have said that they look like large apes. I don't know. It wouldn't have mattered. He gives a response. It's the best response he can give. It's the best answer he can give. He says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. He gives a response when he is asked by Jesus to do so. Friends, God does not come down, save you, set you back in motion, and let you do whatever, and keep that recorded somewhere and, and, and demand nothing of you. There are a lot of people in our world that, that have that type of understanding of God, that God kind of put things in motion, that he let things play out, and he stepped back and kind of just happened, and he doesn't really intervene. He doesn't really have any type of, of interaction with the world. But friends, nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible tells us that he knows when even one sparrow, an inexpensive bird that could be purchased in Jesus' day, this, this irrelevant bird to most of us, if we with our car, if we saw it beside the road, we'd drive on, we wouldn't think anything about it. And yet Jesus says that he knows what happens to that sparrow. He says we are so much more valuable in the eyes of our Father. God cares, deeply cares about what goes on in our life. He deeply cares about what is going on in our world. He cares immensely about that, but he requires us that, he, that we respond when he acts. He requires of us that we respond when he speaks. He requires of us that when he speaks to us, that we answer him. He's not sitting in heaven passive about everything that's going on. He's not sitting there and going, well, they're not responding, but it's okay. It's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. He demands a response from us. Listen, he has spoken to us in his word. He has given us instructions on how we are to live. He has given us instructions on how we can have a relationship with him. And those instructions tell us that we must respond to his word. So when it says to go make disciples of all nations, we are to respond. All of us. When it says to love your neighbor as yourself, we are to respond. All of us. See, this relationship you have with God, it's built on this community that the Bible describes as the church. But this relationship that you have with God is built on a relationship between you and the Father. A personal relationship. And in that personal relationship, God demands that you respond to Him. That you answer when He speaks. 
Now, when he says go, you go. When he tells you things to do, that you do them. How sad it is that the God of the universe would speak to us and we would ignore what he has said. That's what should break our heart about the things going on in our world, in our culture. It's because God has spoken. God has given the blueprint for a relationship with him. And he has done all of the work. He is the one who sent his son to die in our place. He is the one who has given us life when all that we deserved was death. He's given us that. And yet, we refuse to respond. We refuse to listen. We like to make excuses. Do you notice that this man doesn't complain? He doesn't complain that that his sight has only partially been restored. If you had had nothing, if you had been blind, and all of a sudden now you can at least see of the quality to understand that there is a human being standing in front of you, that would be a major accomplishment. That would be a great blessing. The man doesn't respond in anger. He simply responds in answering Jesus' question. Do you see anything? He says, I see people. But they look like trees walking. Friends, I wonder the value that you place on responding to Christ. The value that you place on responding to what God has told you to do. Where does that fall in your list of priorities? Where does that fall in your decision-making process? I've served in churches before who, as a church, in church decisions, did not place a high priority on listening to God. For many Christians, it's, it's becoming irrelevant. I wonder how long you can call yourself a Christian and deny listening Refuse to listen, refuse to respond to the words of God. If we're going to follow His leadership, we we have to, we must respond when He speaks. And He has spoken, and He continues to speak through His Word. And as such, we have the responsibility to respond to Him, and this man does. And look what happens when he responds. Verse 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened up his eyes. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Following Jesus requires a response. And with a response, we understand that following Jesus is restorative. Following Jesus is restorative. This man, this man was in such a difficult place in the culture in which Jesus lived. It continues today. Someone in any part of the world now, regardless of whether it's here in our country or in, in some of the darkest places on earth, anyone who does not have their sight 
has such a difficult time navigating the world. You're going to college, I remember there being a number of students who were blind. I was always amazed because very quickly they picked up the entire map of the college from memory. And it would have the stick that tied themselves around the college and they could go basically anywhere. Because they had taken the time as they walked to memorize how many steps it was to different places and, and when you would turn one place in the sidewalk where that would lead to and, and where you would go. And oftentimes it, it didn't take very long that they had no one who would guide them. But the sad fact of in a place they were familiar, that worked fine. But when you showed up somewhere you weren't aware of, you're going to have to have help. You're going to have to have someone to, to give you an idea of where different places were and, and where you were going to get to. A person who is blind has difficulty. They can't go and, and drive like you or I can, jumping in our cars and going wherever we'd like. This man who lived in a culture where it was even more difficult, where many of these people would have to beg just to survive, finds that when Jesus, in verse 25, takes his hand and lays it on him again, puts it on his eyes again, Jesus removes his hands, and the man opens his eyes, and his sight was restored. And not only was it restored, he could see before, he could see after Jesus first question, but now we're told that he saw everything clearly. Friends, Jesus' restoration of our life is something that he does completely and perfectly. He doesn't partially restore us. Oh, it would be a wonderful uh, uh, advancement from where we were if Jesus did restore us partially. From, from trapped in our sin to partially restored would be infinitely better. And yet he doesn't stop there. He completely restores this man's sight. And friends, when he saves us, he completely restores our life. Now sometimes it takes a little while. And we don't get to see that complete perfection here in the time that we've been given on this earth. And yet you need to understand that the salvation that God has given you is complete and perfect. Anytime it feels lacking, anytime it feels like you've not been fully restored, you need to understand that that has nothing to do with what God has given you. That has nothing to do with the grace and mercy that God has poured into your life. Those things are perfect. The fact that as Christians we still struggle to get by, we still deal with heartache and loss, we still have to fight against our sin is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is ruled by sin, that is directed by evil. And as such, we need to understand that we are never going to see that full restoration that God has given us, but we will one day. We'll never get to see it here. We'll never get to see it in the time that God has granted us on this earth. But we will see it one day. God has promised that when we enter into an eternity with Him, we will have complete perfection. Our heart and mind will be perfected. 
Our bodies will be perfected. We will spend an eternity in perfection with Him because the leadership of Christ restores. But friends, we don't have to wait until then to begin experiencing the restoration of Christ. Go around this room and find people who have been deeply called in sin, who God has called out. Ask them if God has not begun to restore their life now. God has not moved in their life now to restore them, to bring them out of their sin, out of the place they were trapped, and restored them to a place with Him, a place where they hear His voice, a place where they hear His word, a place where they can respond to what He has said. Friends, if you're looking at your life today and you see it's a mess, you see how deeply trapped in sin you are, how you experience nonstop heartache and there's nothing that seems to bring you out of it, there's nothing that seems to give you peace, I want to promise you that Christ, Christ is the one who offers us grace. Christ is the one who offers us peace. Christ is the one who restores us. Following after Him means following after His leadership that leads to restoration. Maybe it's restoration in your home, in your family, in your relationship with the people around you. Christ is the one who offers restoration. This man, this man receives his sight. It's something he couldn't get on his own. It's something he couldn't receive. It's, it's something that had been taken away from him and he had no control over. He lived in a time where there's no medicine, there's no, there's no eye doctors to go see, there's no surgery to be performed. He had no options. And yet Christ gives him a sight back. That's what happens when we follow the leadership of Christ. We're restored. We're restored in ways we could never imagine. We're restored in our relationships that have long been broken. Following Jesus is restorative. And then verse 26, following Jesus means going where you're sent. If we want to be restored by Christ, if we're going to listen to Him, then we're going to go wherever He sends us to go. Look in verse 26, and He said, I'm sorry, and He sent Him to His home saying, Do not even enter the village. Now, why would he do this? Well, again, we could, we could go back to the idea that is, again, prevalent in Mark, that there is, there's this secretiveness to what Jesus is doing in preventing people for, uh, for, to prevent people from thinking the wrong way about him, uh, to prevent people from doing things that he doesn't want them to do. Uh, there was this idea that this great king who was going to uh, take over, is going to kick out the Romans and set up a throne in Jerusalem. And that's not Jesus' ministry. That's not what he was called to do. That was not his purpose. And he avoids that. But he tells the guy not to go back to the village. If he'd went back to the village, he may have went back and, and bragged about what had happened. He may have went back and he would have obviously caused a great fuss. Here's the man who was blind and now he's not. We should go see what has happened. We should go see what is going on. And Jesus wants to avoid all of that. And so he tells him, go home. Do not even go to the village. 
Skip it. Oh, it's going to be tempting to go to the village. You want to show everybody what's happened. You want to show everybody all the great things that have happened. You want to show people that you can see. You don't need someone guiding you around now. You're able to be a functioning member of society. But the man is not sent to the village. He's sent to go home. He's sent to do so without going by the village first. If we're going to follow after Jesus, we're going to have to go wherever he sends us to go. Wherever it is. Whatever he sends us to do. What kind of limitations have you placed on your relationship with Christ? What are they? You say, well, I don't have any. Well, okay. But I think you do. I will participate in this event, but I wouldn't do this. I can help out with Vacation Bible School here, but I couldn't do Vacation Bible School in another country. I've shared before, and it's not a joke. I'm not making it up. I'm terribly afraid of flying. Hate it. Just, just afraid. I take a Benadryl normally when I get on a plane to just kind of calm me down and help me sleep because I, I hate flying. But I'm excited to get on a plane in October and fly back to El Salvador. I love it. John was talking to me this morning about having talked to Carlos, our, our pastor friend there, we talk to him on Facebook often, and it just it gets me excited. What are the limits you place on where you'll go? And then the other question would be, how do you have the right to place those limits on Jesus? How do you have the right to place any limitation on what you will do for the Savior of the universe? Or a better title, for the one you claim as your Savior. What limits do you have the right to place on the one who has given you freedom beyond what you could ever imagine? The one who has given you grace when you deserved death. Friends, it's not a big deal. Right? He gets to go back home. Don't go to the village. Go back home. Not a big deal. But I wonder if Jesus' calling was more than going back home. Are there limits? Even better, if Jesus' calling is to go home. To go to your family. To go to the people closest to you and tell them their need for a Savior. Do you have limits on that? Are you okay with telling people about Jesus unless you know them? This man listens to Jesus. He goes home. We're not told otherwise. Following Jesus means going where you are sent. I wonder if you believe that to be the case. 
I've met very few Christians without limits. I've got them, I think. But I wonder why we think we can have those. Why we think it's okay. Well, I can't, I can't do this or I can't do that for this reason or that reason. I, I can't do it because of my age. I can't do it because of finances. None of that holds any water. None of those excuses are valid in front of Christ. Do you think that you would stand there on judgment day and say, God, I, I, I never really had the money to do the things that you had called me to do? As an American, that would be laughable. God, I never really had the time to do what, what you called me to do. I never really had the time to go where you sent me. I wonder if you realize that when your time is up doing the things that God has for you, that your time will be up. If you ever get to the point where you say, God, I, I've got no time to do the things that you have for me to do. Friends, I would call the funeral home and make your arrangements because your time is up. Our purpose, our only purpose in this world is to serve him. Our only purpose in this world is to go where he has sent us. It's not to be happy. It's not to be wealthy It's not to make friends and influence people. Our purpose, our sole purpose is to bring Him glory and honor and praise. This man goes where he is sent. And I think he does so, and we close with this, because Jesus in this text, as he has in all the others, demonstrates to us that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and only God can make blind man see. Only God can give hearing to the deaf. Only God can raise the dead. And over and over again who he is. And so this man, in seeing the miraculous intervention of God in his life, this man follows after the leadership of Christ. And friends, we have the responsibility to do no less. Because we understand much more about the man who is laying hands on this man's eyes than the man whose sight was restored ever understood. We know infinitely more about Jesus than this man ever did. And yet in this simple act, these five verses, this man obeys and follows the leadership of Christ. And so therefore, you and I should do the same. You and I need to follow his leadership wherever it goes. We need to follow his leadership Going where we're sent. We're following his leadership because we have been led to him. We respond to his leadership. He has given us grace and mercy that passes all of our understanding. Friends, this morning, if you're not following the leadership of Christ, if you're not going wherever he has sent you to go, if you're not accepting his responsibility, if you're not responding to what he has called you to do, if you're not experiencing the restoration that he gives by his grace and mercy, friends, today is the day to cry out to Christ. Today is the day to pray to him to give you a new heart, to pray to him to give you new life, to pray to him to lead wherever he would have you to go. 
Friends, there's all kinds of excuses. This world loves your excuses. Whatever they are, time, money, the new and now, we, we don't want to seem like we're, we're forcing our faith on people. In other words, we're saying we don't love people enough to help save them from hell. Whatever our excuses are, they aren't valid. What God has called us to do is follow the leadership of Christ. And friends, that's what I call on us all to do this morning. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We're grateful that you've given us hope. You've given us life. God, you've given us your mercy and grace when we were most undeserving. God, I pray that each one of us would see the necessity to follow after your leadership. God, to go wherever you lead us and to do whatever it is you've called us to do. God, we're grateful that we have been called by your name. We've been called, God, by your grace, your power. God, help us this morning to follow wherever you lead. God, and we thank you that you would be willing to leave the glory and splendor of heaven to come dwell among us and die. God, that you would conquer hell and the grave so that we could follow your lead. And God, I pray that wherever you lead, there we would go. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing a song as we close out the service, but this morning, if you do not know Christ, if you do not follow His leadership, if you, you are just going through life and you have no direction, you see no purpose, you understand no plan for your life, this morning I would love to share with you what Christ has done for you. How He has offered you grace and peace and leadership. But friends, most of you know Christ. You've cried out to Him. You've called upon His name. You, you, you want to follow Him with your life. Friends, following Him means so much more than showing up on a Sunday morning and singing and listening to a sermon. Following Him means He has control of your life, that He directs your paths, and that wherever He leads, you'll go. Friends, if that's not you this morning, I want to tell you that you're having less of a Christian experience than God desires for your life. But that can change. Cry out to Him that He would lead. 
and that you would follow. Would you respond to his word this morning as we sing?